What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this insightful video, I tell you all about Meta's new dividend and why it was almost inevitable they would pay one. I'll also tell you an interesting investing conversation I just had with my best friend, and I'll tell you about a cool new service I'm offering, so I encourage you to watch this from start to end. Now, a few days ago, Meta reported their fourth quarter and full year 2023 results, and in that earnings call, they announced that they would start paying a quarterly dividend. Their dividend is starting at 50 cents per share per quarter, or two bucks per share per year, which is only around 0.5% yield at today's prices, kind of like Apple and Microsoft have super low yields. That means that Mark Zuckerberg will start getting around $700 million a year in Meta dividends due to his Facebook stake. Now most of you know that Zuck co-founded and coded Facebook as a Harvard freshman a couple decades ago, and he recently rebranded Facebook to be called Meta, because the metaverse is what he sees as the future of the internet. Meta has been pouring billions of dollars into creating a massively multi-person online world that mixes AI and virtual reality as their next Thank big you so bet much on how for social media will evolve. If you want to watch the Beyond rest of this video, Meta also on the link Instagram, in my bio. threads, and WhatsApp, amongst others, and Zuck is the executive chairman, CEO, and majority controlling shareholder of all that. This latest quarter was a strong one for Meta, where they reported a tripling of quarterly profits to $14 billion as advertising sales rebounded, and due to them reducing headcount by 22% and thus slashing costs. They also announced a $50 billion share buyback program along with announced their new dividend, and all this good news caused their stock to shoot up around 20% in one day. Remember, there are two main ways companies return cash to shareholders, and those are either via a dividend or via share buybacks. A dividend is cash in the pocket, whereas share buybacks tend to push stock prices up over time. Dividends tend to stick around, whereas buybacks are more transient. Here's an interesting chart of buybacks in the SP500 versus dividends being paid out, which helps highlight how buybacks are more volatile than dividends. The pink lines are buybacks, and you can see how they shoot up and down throughout the time in question, and that volatility represents companies doing more or less buybacks each year, whereas the dark blue line represents total dividend payouts, which gradually trends up with the dip in the 2008 financial crisis. Now, dividends aren't guaranteed, but they do set an expectation amongst investors that management is serious about paying them, which also means dividends reduce management's ability to be as flexible with their capital as they might sometimes want to be. I'm someone who wants both dividends and stock buybacks because both cater to my needs. I mean, buybacks not only help provide wind to push stock prices up, but they also make the dividend more sustainable as there are less shares to be paid out. But aren't dividends only for boomer companies? Well, we know that's not true unless you consider Apple and Microsoft and Nvidia as boomer companies, though of course Nvidia's divi is super tiny. Barron's Financial said that for investors, a dividend is increasingly seen as a sign of executive confidence in the business. I mean, paying a dividend generally means the company is confident in its cash flow, because once you start paying a dividend, there's a market expectation that you won't stop, at least in the U.S. Take a listen to this 30-second CNBC clip to understand what I mean. If you're going to return, at least in the United States, if you start initiated dividend, you don't cut it back. It, it's not a flexible dividend. It's not right? a, it's we'll not do it this, this quarter, but not next quarter. Right. So, so what does that tell investors? It tells us that they're going to actually have a minimum hurdle of this, and we're going to look for it to grow. Mm -hmm. So that tells you this company's now looking at, you know, maybe the moonshots aren't really out there. It's also telling you that they're not going to spend money just on acquisitions that maybe don't make any sense. Plus, we know that's really not working these days with the government. So and that clip explains part of why I like dividend income so much and why I feel confident to rely on a basket of dividend income to pay all my family's bills in my early retirement. Now, quality dividend payouts probably aren't as safe as something like treasury bills, but given that some companies have paid out increasing dividends for a lot longer than I've been alive, all helps give me confidence that some companies have committed to their dividends. And speaking of commitment, a finance professor once made an insightful observation where he said that dividends are like getting married, whereas buybacks are like dating. I mean, dating is transitory and often has a lot of changes, whereas marriage is generally something you go into with the expectation of forever. And for reference, last year Meta did $20 billion of share repurchases, and this new dividend will cost them about $5 billion annually. 
Anyway, the classic reason that companies don't pay dividends is if they're putting all or most of their cash towards growth initiatives, and with Meta investing so much into AI and the metaverse and such, this new dividend announcement came as a surprise to many. So why did they start paying one? Well, Meta's CFO said that, quote, Introducing a dividend just gives us a more balanced capital return program and some added flexibility in how we return capital in the future, end quote, which means now they'll return cash to shareholders via a dividend and via buybacks. Listen to this minute or so clip on CNBC where they explain why Meta started paying a dividend. First, about why Meta's dividend was such a surprise to the street, because it really represents potentially this broader shift within tech in Silicon Valley. It used to be that tech companies, they're growthy, they're innovative, they were going to reinvest every dollar of profit back into the business. That mentality met the mentality of the year of efficiency led by Zuckerberg himself. And here you go, we're at Facebook, Meta, issuing a dividend, which in the case of these mega caps, they've shown over the last few years that they can return capital to investors and they can keep innovating. They can walk and chew gum at the same time because think about it, you know, Surat even said it with the CapEx numbers, they continue to invest in the business. They continue to stay ahead in generative AI and spatial computing while returning investors. So you don't have one at the expense of others. And that's also an indication of just how incredibly profitable these companies have become. Yes, their weighting in the broader markets has increased, but they've also been able to execute on that. So the lady makes the important point that strong companies can both invest in growth and can return cash to shareholders. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, Microsoft has been paying a growing dividend for over a decade and has been one of the better growth stocks out there. I guess some might say that Microsoft could have grown more if they hadn't paid a dividend, but I'd rather put my faith in what Microsoft's management thinks makes sense to do, rather than someone who thinks they shouldn't pay a divvy. The reality is that sometimes it doesn't make financial sense to keep putting more money into growth initiatives, and the reason you have strong management is so that they can make great capital allocation decisions. And paying a dividend sends a message that you care about your shareholders. When you're saying we're returning capital shareholders, we're going to start a dividend, you're signaling to your investors that we're really focused on shareholder value. Hmm. And on top of that, another reason why Meta might have started paying a dividend was potentially to draw in more investors, like us dividend folks. But given Zuck is the real decision maker, I gotta imagine that part of the reason he did this was that because it became a great way for him to get cash out of his shares without selling them as well as without needing to use them as collateral. And to all those people who aren't dividend proponents, I ask you this. Why do you think this billionaire pushed for his company to start paying dividends? Do you think he's financially stupid and that dividends are irrelevant to him? I mean, Zuck owns about 13% of Meta, which puts his net worth at over $100 billion, and so those irrelevant dividends are paying him $700 million a year in cash. And for reference, there's about 9 billion shares of Meta stock, composed of 5 billion Class A shares and about 4 billion Class B. Class A shares are what everyday investors on the regular stock market have access to, and they're one vote per share. The Class B shares are controlled by Zuckerberg and just a small group of insiders, and every Class B share gets 10 votes, and Zuck owns like 60% of Class B shares, which means he pretty much calls all the shots. In fact, if you read Meta's latest 10K, then one of the risks that's called out says, our CEO has control over key decision making as a result of his control over a majority of the voting power of our outstanding capital stock. Mark Zuckerberg, our founder, board chair, and CEO, is able to exercise voting rights with respect to a majority of the voting power of our outstanding capital stock, and therefore has the ability to control the outcome of all matters submitted to our stockholders for approval, including the election of directors on any merger, consolidation, or sale of all or substantially all of our assets. So the TLDR is Zuck built it and Zuck controls it, so in Zuck you trust if you're investing in Meta. Now, a kind of funny risk the 10 calls out says, We currently depend on the continued services and performance of our key personnel, including Mark Zuckerberg. Mr. Zuckerberg and certain other members of management participate in various high-risk activities, such as combat sports, extreme sports, and recreational aviation, which carry the risk of serious injury and death. If Mr. Zuckerberg were to become unavailable for any reason, there could be a material adverse impact on our operations. 
So Zuck has gotten into some fun activities like MMA fighting, and here's a quick clip of him from Lex Friedman's show. And here's another clip someone took of supposedly Zuck hydrofoiling in Hawaii. I think those guys near him are his guards, and I read that he pays $15 million a year for security, so kind of a cool job for them. Anyway, back to the meta dividend. The data will show you that most large companies eventually end up paying a dividend. In fact, I put together the spreadsheet of the top 100 largest US companies, and 83% of them pay dividends. 83%. Just remember that little fact the next time someone tries to convince you that dividends are irrelevant. Bottom line, it shouldn't surprise you too much that Meta started paying a dividend, since, as you can see, pretty much all public US companies eventually pay one. And dividends from companies in the SP500 have contributed about 32% of the index total return since 1926, with stock appreciation being the other 68%. So it's more of an edge case for large companies to not pay dividends, or rather, to not pay dividends yet. Like I'd wager a pretty penny that even Berkshire Hathaway will eventually pay a dividend, though I'd also bet they won't pay one while Buffett is alive. Now a logical question you might ask is can we predict when a company might start paying a dividend? Like is Google up next? Is Amazon? Tesla? Listen to the 60 second clip to hear what they think. Here's the state of capital returns among the big six. Apple and Microsoft, they've had robust programs for years, but they've also been around the longest, and the, so they have more mature businesses. Meta is the youngest of the bunch here, and that is partly why its dividend was such a surprise. Now, Amazon has been around for nearly 30 years, yet it doesn't have any capital return program, but it didn't start posting consistent profits until 2015, when its high-margin AWS cloud computing unit started making up for narrow margins in e-commerce. Even then, it continued putting those profits back into the company, like doubling its logistics footprint over the pandemic. This quarter, though, everything seemed to start working for Amazon. Operating income soared, way better e-commerce margins, and interest income, that was kind of the cherry on top, an added benefit of higher yields on its growing cash pile, and that is a benefit among all the mega caps that have reserves in the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. Nice. And one prominent and widely recognized dividend payout theory that may shed some light on who will start paying a dividend is called the life cycle theory. This theory predicts that a company's stage of development will be a key determinant of both if and when they pay a dividend. Many studies have shown that the more mature a company is, the more likely it is to initiate a dividend. In those studies, maturity is quantified in terms of metrics such as profitability, available investment opportunities, degree of leverage, and overall size. In most cases, as the company matures, it will get larger, have fewer investment opportunities, and higher profitability. Because of this, the company will likely have larger and more consistent earnings, allowing for the initiation of a dividend. Companies use share repurchases to pay out more volatile cash flows, while they use regular dividends to pay out more permanent cash flows. Studies have found those firms that have repurchased shares more frequently since their IPO are more likely to initiate a dividend. So companies that keep rebuying shares are ones that often are maturing, and eventually those firms usually switch to also pay out cash dividends as a means to pay out its excess cash flows. 
Life cycle theory rests on the idea that the trade-off between earnings retention and distribution changes over time, eventually making dividends or stock repurchases more desirable than earnings retention. This happens when profits accumulate, investment opportunities decline, and the average investment return from dividends or stock repurchases becomes greater than retained earnings. Another important dividend payout initiation factor for firms to consider are tax laws, and when taxes look better for dividends, then that increases the likelihood that a company would start paying one, or conversely, if taxes treat dividends poorly, then it becomes less likely for companies to adopt dividends. Yet another contributing factor to influence companies to start paying a dividend is called signaling theory. That's the idea that starting to pay dividends sends a positive signal to the market about the quality of the firm, because it often means the company is doing well. And I think Meta's initiation of a dividend was part of the reason why its stock shot up, not just because it had a good quarter. So I think this signal, and one of the reasons I think Meta's up where it is, is because what do they signal? Capital discipline. Mm -hmm. And we're now in the year of, I call it the year of cash flow. Because if you say our cash flow is going to be less than it's supposed to be or we think it is, you're going to actually get punished. I mean, look at okay, but why wouldn't a company pay out a dividend if it's so great? Well, if a company's cash flow isn't good enough, then paying out a dividend would probably be too risky. Or perhaps if a company has taken on too much debt, then that could also raise some red flags. Basically, if a company has a bunch of bad earnings and their financial health looks compromised, then they'll be more likely to not have a dividend. Sometimes a new management joins a company and they may try to influence either starting or changing their dividend policy. In Meta's case, my guess is that Zuck has thought of all the pros and cons and ultimately decided that he wanted that sweet dividend income coming in. And how does Zuck's new annual Meta dividend income compare to what the rest of the folks in the U.S. are getting in terms of income, specifically retired folks? Well, the U.S. Census Bureau reports that the average median retirement household income for Americans over age 65 is only about 47 grand. As you can see, the older you get, the lower the income becomes. Like households in their late 50s pull in around 74 grand a year, those in their early 60s pull in 65 grand, late 60s is about 54 grand a year, early 70s are 51 grand, and those age 75 and over pull in only about 35 grand a year. Retiree income in the U.S. comes mostly from Social Security, and then some have pensions and or stocks, and some even have jobs still. But if you're watching this video, then I predict you'll buck that trend of declining income in retirement, and instead your dividends will allow you to be amongst the few whose income will increase as you get older. And for reference, the Census Bureau says that when looking at all household income in the USA, then you're in the middle class if your household pulls in 58k to 94k a year. You move into upper middle class when you're pulling in 94 to 153k a year. And you're in upper class when your household pulls in more than 153k a year. I share that as another nod to my troll who is saying that it's impossible for 125k of dividend income to support a family of four. I guess he thinks that only what the U.S. Census Bureau considers upper-class household income would be enough for a family of four to get by. Anyway, even if you're rolling in the dividends, you still want to make sure you're making sound financial decisions. Like I saw this article talking about a 73-year-old retired federal employee who has an IRA worth 150k and a taxable account worth 80k. He's married and he and his wife have a couple of girls and he was thinking of selling his stocks and sitting in cash and then waiting for the market to crash and then put the cash in an index fund, all of which he thought would make it easier and better for his girls and wife to manage if he was gone. Now consolidating into a broad market ETF is probably the smart move, but trying to time the market probably isn't. Trust me, it's hard to sell everything and buy back in and actually win, not to mention the taxes you'd probably lose if we're talking about taxable accounts. Timing the market rarely works and often backfires, and if you can just stomach holding through the big crashes, then you'll probably do a lot better in the long run. Just keep acquiring more and more good shares, and I think the rest will work itself out. Unfortunately, many people aren't financially literate enough to make decisions that's in their best interest. Like I was just talking on the phone with one of my best friends, and he told me how the financial advisor his wife uses, someone she's known for a long time, had recommended that they sell out of their Microsoft stock because it was overpriced. Now beyond that advice being something that I personally wouldn't think is best for most people, what caused me to mention this discussion is because I asked him how much they were paying their financial advisor, and he wasn't sure. He couldn't tell me if the advisor was being paid a percentage of their portfolio, or if it was a fixed amount or whatever. 
It's unfortunately pretty easy for people to be unaware of advisor fees because advisors can often just take a percentage of the portfolio regardless of how it does. And so making a bit less than you should can be hard to notice. That's great for financial advisors, but often bad for investors. I recommended to my friend that he should find out what sort of fees they're paying, and they should also look into going into VTI or VU or something like that, just because I know that hardly any financial advisors outperform the market over the long run. And not only do they underperform, but they also have fees which are probably materially decreasing their portfolio's performance even more. Besides, I think anyone recommending selling Microsoft is really somewhat out of question. Sure, Microsoft could go down in the short term, but long term it's one of my favorite stocks. And I asked him if they owned any Meta, but he wasn't sure, which is another big mistake. You've got to know what you own. Anyway, is Meta worth investing in now? Well, that's something you'll need to answer for yourself. I don't provide financial advice and I'm not a licensed professional. And even if I was, I'd recommend you learn to analyze companies on your own. Personally, I'm someone who likes to see at least 10 consecutive years of dividend increases before I invest in a dividend-focused stock, but I'd also be fine with investing in Meta because my guidelines are just guidelines and not rules. And if you are thinking of investing, then a big question you want to answer is how confident you are that Meta's future will continue to look brighter. Now, before I close things off, I want to tell you about a cool new service that I'm offering. So people have been asking me to add more of my upper tier Patreon seats, but since each of those seats takes some of my personal time, I have to limit membership to them, and that's why they're usually sold out. However, what I can do is offer something new and different, and so I'm announcing Gen X channel partner seats that you can optionally join for $4.99 a month via YouTube. Just click on the join button next to the subscribe button on my YouTube page or under any video of mine that you watch and you'll get more details on it. One of the cool things about joining as a Gen X channel partner is that when you leave a comment on my video, your name gets a loyalty badge icon by it and there are different badges you graduate up to based on how long you've stayed a Gen X channel partner. In the future, I'll probably do something fun like highlighting people who've been Gen X channel partners for a year or more. You'll also get access to a new membership tab next to the community tab on my channel that only people who've joined as a channel partners will be able to see. There you'll be able to vote on which thumbnail I use for my next video, which also means you'll know what video I'm working on next, and you'll get to watch it as soon as I finish it, which is usually the day before I release it for everyone. I try to answer all my comments on my videos, though I'll obviously prioritize my Gen X channel partners. I also plan to post some unique stuff in the new membership tab, like photos of places I'm traveling to, and I'll be adding custom emojis that only my Gen X channel partners will be able to use in their comments. I may also do some sort of Discord badge or title for any channel partners who join my Discord, assuming YouTube gives me the ability to do that. Bottom line, I figure that channel partners are a fun and cool way that people can support my growth as well as get some unique perks along with getting some of my upper tier Patreon perks that they'd otherwise not be able to get. I think it'd be pretty cool to see member badges on my video comments, so hopefully some of you will be interested in joining today and becoming part of the OG group that first joins up. Of course, don't sign up if your finances can't handle it or if you just don't want to because my goal is to help put you on a path that improves your financial future. And with that, I'd like to close things off and I'd normally do a shout out of my newest Patreon aristocrat and king signups, but I'm still all sold out. So instead, I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. Consider using my Seeking Alpha affiliate link in the description of this video as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. Also consider using my FastGraphs affiliate link and if you do that, then please drop me a note so that I can thank you. I share a coupon code new members can use to get a nice discount on their first payment. And don't forget about my new Gen X channel partner seats. Regardless of what you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click the bell notification. Finally, don't forget to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 11,000 dividend investors on it from 80 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and my videos are for entertainment and inspirational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinions with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.